Hello and welcome to Optimal, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dickon Weatherby, and this podcast and my website all focus on one thing, and that's the quest for optimal health. Our goal is to help you to help your patients achieve optimal health so they can experience an optimal life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. And also make sure to go over to OptimalDX.com and check out our resources on the site. Now, without any further delay, is today's episode. Hello, everybody. Dr. Weatherby here. Welcome to Optimal, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dick and Weatherby from Optimal DX and joined as usual by Beth Allen DeLulio in Naples, Florida. Hey, Beth, how are things? Hello, hello. Things are fine. Hot and fine. Hot and fine. <laughs> it's March 2022. We're in the middle of March. I'm here in Bend, Oregon, looking out over Mount Bachelors, beautiful white glowing mountain on the horizon. I'm sure you don't have very many mountains in uh, no. Naples, but you have oranges, which I'm very jealous about. Yes, we do. Yeah. But we export them, so. <laughs> yeah. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about stress. So hopefully not too stressful to be talking about stress. But I do want to point out some resources that we have on Optimal DX. So we've got a couple of different blogs on Optimal DX. We have the regular Optimal, the blog, and then we have Optimal, our research blog that Beth Allen writes for and she obviously writes a lot of stuff for all all of the uh the blogs so thank you beth for doing all that but uh, her wonderful posts on stress are available in our uh, research blog so dive in there and the way to go to that is to go to optimaldx.com we have a resources drop down you can find the research blog there we also have a white paper so if you go to resources and look up our white paper we have a white paper on stress which is uh, pretty much you know, a dissertation on stress, we could be doing, well, I think a whole weekend, just mm -hmm. talking about what you've uncovered in the white paper. So, you know, later on, we're going to devote, you know, most of the podcast to be talking about that, we're going to be looking at what is stress? How do we become stressed? How do we identify stress? Because obviously, we're an assessment diagnostic company. And so our main focus really is on how do we identify stress in our patients, not only from sort of signs and symptoms, but also using blood chemistries. And of course, there are lots of other specialty tests as well that we can take a look at. And then I think almost more important is the window into what the heck do we do about it? Mm -hmm. So we'll spend a bit of time on that. Beth's done some great research on that too. A little bit of update for me. I just had a birthday and my wife got me an aura <gasps> ring. Do you know what an aura yeah. ring is? I know what an aura is, and I know what a ring is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so an aura ring is a company. It's like, and no, we're not sponsored by Aura. I'd love to be, but uh, we're not. Anyway, O U R A. It's a wearable, and it's got. It's just like looks like a nice ring, and it's got sensors in it that detect sleep patterns and heart rate variability and temperature and whole load of biometric data that it then beams to your phone. So I've been wearing it for a day and found out that I actually toss and turn a lot at night, which is something Ooh. I was probably aware of, but had never actually had quantified. Maybe because <laughs> so, you're wearing an aura ring. Maybe because I'm wearing an aura ring. No, I, I know. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm old like, enough to know the mood ring. I'm old enough to have had a mood ring. Yeah, I remember the mood so, rings too. Okay, anyway, sorry. that's my news. So in terms of stress, cool. it's probably going to be a really good way to monitor stress in my own Yes, life. stress and a turn and loss of sleep. Do you feel like you lost sleep though? Do you feel like 
you're not refreshed when you wake up. No, I, I, I get a good idea. You don't realize? Nah. So your I, wife t- is I take my now. take my CBD and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> oh, good. But you're keeping her up now at night, so she's gonna get you an aura bed. You're right. She's gonna get me an aura bed and just like yeah, so I'll find like she's put me in the spare bedroom. Anyway, so that, that's that's my news. What about you? Anything other than oh, obviously my... world catastrophes? Uh, yeah, Russia has invaded Ukraine, and goodness knows what else. Yeah, I'm just working for world peace day and night in my mind. I hope that yeah. hope that contributes something. But yeah, oh, I'm a, I like to create peace. You know, you can pray for peace, but you can create peace too. So everywhere I go, that's one of my little things. Oh, I, love if I can it. create peace. Yeah, so let's create peace. Create <laughs> peace. I appreciate yeah. that. That's a really yeah. good. Before we dive into stress, we at ODX we get a lot of questions using our AMA or Ask Me Anything feature it should be a ua ask us anything but um <laughs> anyway anyway we got quite a few questions and one of the questions and these are if you're part of our software subscription you're part of our membership into the odx application you get to ask questions and we post those questions on our knowledge base so it's kb.optimaltx.com if you want to go over there k as in Knowledge. Right. K is in knowledge. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Sorry. And B is in base. And kb.optimaldx.com. You can go over and look at our knowledge base. But anyway, we've got an interesting question, something that I've always been intrigued by. So thank you, Beth, for doing a little bit of research on this. It's the role uh, that distilled mm-hmm. water has, mm-hmm. not only on, on just health in general or maybe doesn't have a role in health in general. But the question was, does drinking distilled water have an adverse effect on kidney function? Is drinking distilled water safe for someone with stage three kidney disease? And also, and I think this is the important question that Mm -hmm. I want to ask, does it leach minerals from the body? Because you always hear, oh, you know, distilled water is a vacuum and the body Mm -hmm. abhors a vacuum and it's pulling minerals out of your body in order to be able to balance the water. So you kind of did a little bit of a dive into that and I was Mm -hmm. uh, intrigued. Just generally, distilled water is devoid of not only toxins, but also minerals. It's pretty much a sterile environment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately i think as human beings we need our water to contain those important electrolytes and minerals mm-hmm. so it might be nice because it is removing toxins and heavy metals and radionucleotides and kills viruses mm-hmm. and bacteria and all that kind of stuff but tell us a little bit about what you found on in terms of what distillation does to minerals and sort of the adverse effects that that potentially has if you're drinking it on a regular basis yeah, I think it's important to point out, like you said, it pulls out everything. So it pulls out the toxic minerals, it pulls out radionuclides that a lot of times are actually mimic nutrients, right? Like strontium mm. you can mimic strontium and calcium. So it pulls out everything, including the good minerals. So definitely you want to make sure that you got those put back into your diet through supplementation, through more plant-based foods, through unprocessed foods, because naturally water does have minerals in it naturally would be having calcium, magnesium, sodium, selenium, even fluoride, sulfate, chloride, iron, zinc, and lithium, Mm. which is interesting. Like they have lithium springs, you know, over off the coast of Naples in Italy, they have an island of Ischia and they have these mineral springs there. And in some places they have lithium springs where you actually soak up the mineral lithium from the water. Mm. And we know lithium was used to actually treat manic depression in the past. So it's something that helps regulate mood. So a lot of times that's just sucked out of the water anyway. So that's one of the things you want to make sure that you're getting back somewhere mm-hmm. through food or through uh, through supplements. So, but tap water even has some minerals. And then 
and like well water, I'm on well water. So when you soften the water, you're taking out all the calcium and the hard minerals and magnesium and things like this. So softened water takes those out too. Mm. So distillation takes all these things out. So you have to make super sure that you're getting them back in the diet and through, well, we talked a little bit about earlier, something called willard water, which you have to look up. Everybody ought to look that up on their own. Watch the 60 minutes segment from 1980, I think it was. But it's about willard water or dark willard water. And one of the things it does is catalyst altered water and it has this lignite added back to one of the products. And the lignite seems to be high in trace minerals. And I think that's why it might have some of its really positive effects. Like I said, if you go and watch the video, you see this guy who has this third degree burn on his leg and all he uses is willard water. And the doctor's like, yeah, just let him use the willard water instead of grafting it because Graft is going to mess up, you know, somewhere else in the body. It never heals. Anyhow, so 60 minutes is diligent. They go back in three months. They go back in six months. And, you know, it's looking real good. And then eventually there's not even a scar. So we're like, hmm, you know, is this a hoax? Is there a trick to this? So to me, it was pretty impressive. So I started to use dark wood water many, many years ago. And the dark one can add minerals back in. So I know that's some of the way I get some minerals. Not super scientific. You got to see the video. See, well, see we'll, uh, we'll post it on the podcast. Oh, cool. Page. Yeah, why not? Yeah, Willard Water, W I L L A R D. Yes. Yeah, we'll put Willard a link Water. to that so you can kind of go, go back to optimaldx.com and we'll have it on our blog post. Okay, uh, cool. Cool. Um, so, what about so. what about this question about kidney function? Because yeah. really, probably shouldn't negatively affect kidneys. Well, not specifically. I didn't mention, there were a couple of things. I did find something that said it could pull some minerals out of your teeth if you're drinking just distilled water all the time. It also could pull nutrients out of food when you say boiled food and distilled water, the minerals leach out of the food into the water. And actually with some with kidney disease, like we do have them soak and leach out the potassium out of potatoes. Sometimes you want to lose the minerals because with kidney disease, you can't flush out all the minerals you're supposed to. And kidney disease is strange. You have to have a very specific prescription from the, the renal physician, the renal specialist, because sometimes people have to have plenty of water, sometimes they have to restrict water. If they're not urinating, they have to really restrict their income of water and their income of minerals. So I don't know that it would specifically hurt somebody with kidney disease. I don't know if I'd add back a lot of minerals for someone with kidney disease. You have to know what you're dealing with, what's the sodium prescription, the potassium prescription, the phosphorus prescription. So that is very complicated. And I would defer that to a you know, specialist to say, yeah. yeah, yeah, are they flushing out enough minerals? Like what's going on with the kidney? I know they said stage three, but I would never recommend that. Even as a clinical nutritionist, you have to kind of get the marching orders in that case from the renal physician for the prescription for water and specific minerals. But, cool. but for everybody else, make sure that you're adding back things um the minerals back in. Same thing with reverse osmosis. Now, reverse osmosis, even it takes out bad minerals, it takes out good minerals, it takes out pharmaceuticals, it takes out radioactive elements, like I talked about before. But now you have to remember to put all those things back in. So that's the final recommendation is make sure you get minerals from other places. If you have kidney disease, especially stage three, you have to see what how much you can tolerate of water and how much you can tolerate as far as minerals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a, such a specialized thing for kidney cool. failure. So if you want to read that response, go over to kb.optimaldx.com. It's on knowledge base and look under clinical questions. Cool. Yeah, Mm. awesome. All right, let's dive into a little bit of stress. I want to mention too, can I say one more thing? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something called easy water, which is very interesting about the water in the body and electrolytes in the body. And that's a whole nother thing. So maybe we can dig in a little bit about that in the future. Easy Mm. 
exclusion zone border, they call it. Yeah, there's, there's a whole load of stuff about it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, my wife does hot yoga and uses yes. uh, electrolyte supplements and stuff because yeah. when you're sweating you're that losing. much, you're, you're losing. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. She comes home yeah. and her yoga gear weighs about five pounds. Oh, my yeah, Lord, replace that. Oh. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So let's get into stress. This is our topic for March. Mm. March 2022, we do have a white paper on this and a whole load of blog posts in our uh, research mm-hmm. blog. So we're going to talk about sort of how we get stressed, mm-hmm. a little bit on the physiology, and we're just going to be touching in on just some important pieces, sort of what we call kind of optimal takeaways. And if you want to get the full scoop and the full story, then kind of dive into the white paper and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things that I picked up on this, of course, is that people always think of stress as being bad, but I think we mm-hmm. kind of, that's not necessarily true. There are ways that we can get stressed that are actually motivational and can kind of mm-hmm. move us in a positive direction. But I think mostly for human beings on this planet, especially in the Western world, stress is a negative. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing a podcast actually for Rupa Health the other day and mm. Very interesting. Yeah, Carrie Jones. I'm not sure if you know who Carrie Jones, Dr. Carrie Jones. She's really very, Yeah, she's um okay. head researcher for or was the medical director for um precision analytics, Dutch testing for a couple oh, okay. years. A brilliant, brilliant researcher and clinician. Anyway, we were just talking. She said, you know, if you could have you know, we're talking about blood chemistry. She said, you know, if there was mm-hmm. one thing that you mm-hmm. could talk to people about in terms of having a positive impact on blood chemistries Mm. and clearly diet is probably the number one but outside Mm -hmm. of diet you know what would it be and I had to sort of think about it and I was like I think stress probably Mm -hmm. is probably the one thing that we all deal with and we'll talk a little bit about kind of how do we get stressed because I think one of the things that we need to remember is that stress comes in lots of different packages there's physical sources of stress right there's yes Alcohol, allergies, mm-hmm. chronic illness, drug use, food deprivation, hormonal imbalances, hunger can be a stress, infections can be a stress, injuries can be a stress. So these mm-hmm. are sort of the physical mm-hmm. sources. You know, one sleep of my training, deprivation. Sleep, sleep deprivation. deprivation. <laughs> yeah. One of my podcasts, not podcasts, one of my training programs, I talked about that there was external sources, internal sources, and then sort of metaphysical type of sources. So mm. in some ways, physical sources are sometimes the things that are happening to us from the outside. Mm-hmm. And then we have psychological sources. And I thought this mm-hmm. is probably the one that is the most insidious, right? You know, when yeah. you look at that, isn't there that like questionnaire of like looking at stressful events? in your life and it's like you know moving house you score it yes, you yes. Score it. Score. these are all yep. like psychological yep. sources of stress you know being mm-hmm. overwhelmed emotional abuse financial problems homelessness inability to manage problems and then there are those life event sources of stress let's look at the ukraine mm. one day they were a living their lives just like we do in the western world and then the next day boom the whole life changes mm-hmm. and you can't imagine the levels of stress so anything else about sort of the common sources of stress that sort of struck you? The one that always, and I said this for a long time, people would say, no, that is not true. But that psychological stress causes the same physical reaction, a physiological reaction oh, as yes, if it, it was a physical stress. Yeah. 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 So anticipation of something that's negative could be a source of stress. All that psychological stress can build up and people might not even realize it because it's not that physical cut. You didn't break your arm. 
it wasn't an accident, but the psychological stress that builds up. And sometimes people live like that. That's become their new norm. But yeah. people don't get along and they scream at each other. And that's how they resolve issues is by, in a sense, psychological violence. All those things that people kind of get used to, all of, they become chronic stress. And I think that to them, they become normal. And to me, I'm a pretty peaceful, quiet person and for the most part. So when I see people like the way arguing at each other and yelling at each other, and we, I never do that with my partner, George. To me, that's like, wait a minute, these people don't even realize that they are under constant chronic stress and probably don't realize that maybe, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but the inflammation, the high blood glucose, all these things that happen when you're under stress contribute to chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So I think psychological stress becomes chronic. Some people don't recognize that. And then it contributes to chronic disease. And nobody's asking about their stress level or mm -hmm. how they cope with stress. Some people cope with stress in ways that is even worse. It could be alcohol use or drug use, trying to cope with stress. And now you've made even more stress for yourself. So I think what really strikes me is psychological stress that goes kind of unrecognized or unaddressed and then turns into literally chronic disease. Mm. I think that's really important to recognize. What's amazing to me is that something that's not physically actually acting upon your body, it's more mm -hmm. of a, a mental, it's, it's an internal mm -hmm. process, can have such a profound effect on human physiology. Because let's talk about the physiology, right? So we have this... Mm -hmm chemical hormonal control, ACTH, mm -hmm. hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that is all geared around mm -hmm. how we handle stress. And obviously, you know, we always have that funny story of like, yes, you know, stress, we evolved to deal with stress with those single episodes, like being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. where we got this sort of analogy of a saber-toothed mm -hmm. tiger chasing us, but I guess it's this long tooth animal chasing us the, that. <laughs> across the savannah was a, yeah. you know, an evocative image. But that truly is sort of, it's a once a week type of thing, probably. I, I don't know if our Paleolithic ancestors probably were under a lot more stress than we probably think about. But we have this system, not only in mm -hmm. our nervous system, but hormonally regulated, hormonally controlled, that allows us to be able to fight or flee. Mm -hmm. And all of that is about getting out of danger. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we've our body interprets, you know, being late for work, cruising down the LA freeway, trying to shove oh. McDonald's in our mouth and spilling oh. Starbucks coffee on our chest while shouting at the guy next door who just <laughs> cut you off. So um. that's, <laughs> that's the stress that we're all under. That's a good time to breathe. So we obviously have this innate hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access that is ordered to provide resources for the physical stress response, mm -hmm. but it can kind of go awry. Mm -hmm. and it has profound effects on the human body. So we're not going to go into the physiology of stress. There's you know, a lot of... Oh, you want to? Okay. No, 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 I'm kidding. There's so much to cover. There's so much to cover. I wanted to say, though, and still I'll use this a minute for, for a quick, quick story. If you have any rabbits, I have wild rabbits in my yard, and I just love them, and I actually feed them when there's no good food around. And if you ever watch a rabbit, right, they run up to eat, then they hear a noise, and they freeze... And they are so ready and poised to run. Yeah. And maybe they'll run like 20 feet away and stop. And then they're quiet and everything's calm. And then they go and relax and they go back to eating. And I realized that that to me, there's what the stress response is for. It mobilizes all that energy for you to run, right? And fight or flight or fight. And I see that with the rabbits and then their eyes get big, bugged out. And then they realize there's no danger and they calm right down. And I think the problem with humans is we forget that to realize maybe there is no danger and it's time to 
relax and rest and digest instead of run or fight or flight. Mm-hmm. If you're in spilling your McDonald's and your Starbucks and your chest in traffic, there's nowhere to run, right? right there's nowhere right. to run. There's nobody to fight, but here you are with this full-blown stress response. So that's a time to breathe and relax and reverse the stress response, I think. And that we can talk about that later with ways with to cope. So. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah don't let that become of- the norm. Well, that's kind of where Hans Selye comes in, I think, for me. It's like mm-hmm. he, back in the 1950s, so 72 years ago, he <laughs> sort of articulated the very thing that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So for that rabbit, the alarm stage fight or flight, mm-hmm. they aren't in fight or flight because they're not having to run away, but it's sort of the physiology of the body allows them to get to that point where they identify that the potentially is a stressor, there's a noise mm-hmm. or something that's outside of them. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. stop, their whole physiology gets poised for making that fight or flight movement. Mm-hmm. And then when that doesn't happen, they can very quickly resume mm-hmm. and, and go back. So they, they're in that first stage. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the general adaptation syndrome, this is Hans Selye's work. We go from alarm stage, fight or flight, Mm-hmm. We have like a resistance phase or even like an adaptation phase, I think, is, mm-hmm. is probably mm-hmm. a great term for that. And then we have the exhaustion phase because if you keep going with the stress, you move through those phases. But what we were just talking about there with the rabbit, you haven't even entered into those phases yet. You, <laughs> that, you have the natural rhythm of your physiology is allowing you to balance back and forth between those mm-hmm. different stages. So let's talk a little bit about general adaptation syndrome. I, mm-hmm. I was, this is so fascinating to me because... And I think it allows us to get this window into understanding kind of what our patients are dealing with and what we potentially, mm-hmm. if we're conscious enough in and of ourselves, to kind of mm-hmm. notice where we might be. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what you kind of uncovered from Cellier's work. Well, what I thought was, and I see, I know there's little highlights everywhere, but I thought was really, really interesting is, and this is right from his physiology and pathology of exposure to stress piece. And in quotes, it says a variety of stressors, such as emotional upsets, exposure to extremes of temperature, and anoxia, set into motion defense reactions. So his first, his work was with animals. So we're talking about emotional upset. So this like psychological stress, emotional mm-hmm. upset, and that they affected the blood pressure, the body temperature, the blood sugar level, blood clotting, osmotic pressure, tissue hydration. And then after prolonged severe stress, you had those, the shock phase, the adaptation, mm-hmm. the exhaustion. And it's interesting to me that he considered the emotional upset and also exposure to temperature changes is important and anoxia, which bad smells, right? And that's what he used as stressors. And those all set off that increased blood sugar and blood pressure to get that physical response. So you have the fuel to get that out of there or fight. So fight or flee. So I thought that that was really interesting in his work that those animal, these research subjects, let's call them, the first thing he did to make them stressed was use emotional upsets, upsets and extremes mm. of temperature. So yeah, those simple things that we forget. Even we talked to, right, a lot of times the first thing we talk about is temperature. How's the weather in Florida? How's yeah. the weather in Oregon? Because cold, cold weather and hot, hot weather is very stressful. And also it's interesting because those two things, extremes in weather can deplete vitamin C and vitamin C is actually stored in the adrenal gland. We always say, well, water-soluble vitamins aren't stored in the body. But vitamin C is stored in the adrenal gland, mm-hmm. and it's released under stress. So as you can imagine, all this stress, changes in temperature, world events, all these other things that are stress and we perceive as stress are depleting our vitamin C. So that's a big reason right there to supplement as needed. And since most mammals produce their own vitamin C, right? it's only the humans, the fruit bat, the guinea pig, apes, that don't produce vitamin C, all these other mammals 
keep producing more vitamin C as they need it, including during the stress response and the recovery from stress. And we don't. So you really have to pay attention to vitamin C is a big, big, big one for us mammals that don't produce our own anymore anyway. So anyway, so I thought that was interesting is the animal studies that showed all these stages. And I would say that we've pretty much proven that in humans as well. And when we talk about how it contributes to chronic disease, we can go into depth how it increases your blood sugar, it increases your blood pressure, it increases blood clotting, right? And people mm. would take three medicines for those three things. Right. Whereas if you can control your stress, you control, and eat well, are, you know. yeah, absolutely. So by extension, if we look at just sort of the physiological responses to the alarm stage or the fight and flight, we have that increase mm-hmm. in epinephrine and norepinephrine, the two mm-hmm. stress hormones. We have an increased heart rate, like you said. We have increased arterial blood pressure, increased blood flow to the muscles, decreased blood flow to the organs not needed for locomotion, mm-hmm. increased coagulation, increased cellular metabolism, increased muscle strength, increased mental activity, increased blood glucose, increased glycolysis. So if you just look at that from a dysfunction perspective, You've got a whole load of dysfunctions that are just bubbling under the surface uh-huh, with all uh-huh. of those things. So if you can imagine, if we're looking at just sort of assessments of the dysfunctions that our patients are suffering, I mean, how many patients are coming in with digestive disorders? Uh-huh. Well, if you're in fight or flight, that person who's cruising down the LA freeway spilling coffee on his chest, <laughs> he's got no digestive enzymes you know, his stomach acid is probably not being secreted and he's dumping in McDonald's and hoping mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. no wonder he's got indigestion mm-hmm. and he's shutting down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one physiological system that's being broken down. Yeah. People aren't thinking about this. Hopefully they'll think about it more now. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But here's the deal though, is that I think that, and this is interesting from Celia's work, is not how quickly, but that we do adapt. Mm-hmm. That we get to that adaptation phase where that becomes mm-hmm. normal. And yes. so we normalize this stress response and we, we are in that kind of resistance phase or adaptation mm-hmm. phase. Mm-hmm. And the three interesting symptoms that you put up on here were poor concentration, irritability, and frustration. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, that's sort of the mind fog, the quick to anger kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then we move into, it's like, I can imagine it's like, a, you know, roller coaster, click, 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 click. <laughs> As you hit the top and then down you go into that exhaustion phase. That's the anxiety, mm-hmm. the burnout, the depression, the fatigue. You don't have that tolerance anymore. You've lost it. Mm-hmm. Decreased immunity. Now you're moving into chronic illness. So yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I thought that this yeah. was articulated 72 years ago and is still as prevalent today, I think is extraordinarily uh, mm-hmm. interesting. Let's talk about some of the consequences. We talked about obviously some of the signs and symptoms that are indicative of chronic dysfunctions and diseases, but there are various systems of the body that are strongly affected mm-hmm. by stress. So let's go into some of those. Do you want to mm-hmm. dive into sort of the cardiovascular? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, heart, the heart gets affected by everything. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, dear, dear. It's such an important muscle. Right? Yeah. So for me, yeah, the angina is a big thing that could be associated with stress right. and asthma, autoimmune, cancer, even if it's prolonged cardiovascular disease, we have more information on that specifically. Even the common cold because your immune system becomes suppressed. Uh, depression when you're finally in chronic burnout. Diabetes even because of the mm-hmm. high blood glucose. That blood glucose goes up to give you energy to run or fight, but, but you don't need that. You know, people are sitting still, like you said, on the freeway headaches, hypertension. Mm-hmm. I think anybody with high blood pressure, you got to check the stress across the diet, of course, but this stress level and how they're handling it. 
immune suppression, IBS, zero bowel syndrome, the GI tract is heavily affected Mm -hmm. by stress, right? And once the GI tract doesn't work, then the brain doesn't work and then you can't work. (laughs) So IBS, you know, and and that sensitivity to stress can actually become dysfunctional where you can't really function mentally and work-wise. Menstrual irregularities, excuse me, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis even, which is characterized by high inflammation and even ulcers, you know. So those are things that they've shown are associated with stress and that stress should be addressed if it's underlying any of those conditions, and it probably underlies all those conditions, should definitely be a stress. And maybe, like you said, the stress score system, then maybe every healthcare practitioner should have that in their office, and we should get one, probably, we could probably post one, that at least you're thinking about these things in your mind, that these might be related to stress, and these might be related to why someone is coming into the office. Because mm-hmm. that person who's in stress, they're so stressed out, they just want help. They are unable, obviously, to identify stress or that stress is part of the problem. So I think it should be addressed across the board. And yes, cardiovascular stress, it can accelerate the atherosclerotic process. And so can lack of vitamin C. So now you really have kind of a double whammy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vitamin C is so important to prevent atherosclerosis. That was one of the first things, you know, I taught nutrition for about 10 years in college, at college. And that was one of the things with vitamin C and I'd highlight it and tell people, listen, atherosclerosis could be one of the first signs of vitamin C insufficiency. And people weren't putting those two and two together before. So now we're putting that together and vitamin C has, again, more fruits and vegetables. It's kind of resolves a lot of things, more fruits mm. and vegetables. So anyway, so yeah, cardiovascular disease is huge. And then even stress testing, they're actually doing that stress test to see if there is an occlusion, you know, atherosclerosis, mm-hmm. but there's stress in the body. And, you know, if you can't handle that demand for blood, then you're going to have fatigue during the stress testing. You'll have chest pain, tachycardia, arrhythmia, dyspnea, a decrease in blood pressure, changes in electroencephalogram. So that stress testing is literally stressing your body to see how you can handle it. In a sense, it's reflecting if your arteries are clear enough to carry the blood that they need. So I thought that was interesting. That's actually stress testing Mm-hmm. And how well do you respond to stimuli? Because heart rate variability is really important. And if you stop responding with a variable heart rate, then you're burnt out and you're not yeah. going to respond well to stress at all. So that's actually really, one of the really interesting important. things just reading this, the aura mm-hmm. ring that I'm wearing, does, it gives you a reading of heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. So it's wow. pretty cool, actually. It will start tracking it over time. And obviously, I've just put this thing on. It takes about two weeks for it to kind of normalize to your rhythms. But yeah, it gives oh. you a reading of heart rate variability. It tells you when you need to rest and when you need to be working your heart a little bit. And it looks wow. at heart rate variability of an, at night. How quickly does it take for your heart, once you start sleeping, to reach its natural heartbeat? Mm, if you're real then, stressed, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, it's a, if it takes two to three hours for you to kind of drop down to the lowest, you know, you're literally your resting heart rate as you're asleep. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to your heart rate as you're sleeping in mm, response to waking up or it being in REM sleep or deep sleep and that sort of thing. So yeah. how do you get a report? How do you get a report? Is it something you can look at online? Yeah, it's on your phone. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's That's like, it's like cool. you know, the, the wearables. Anyway, we're digressing, but it <laughs> it actually could, because a lot of people don't think they're stressed. Yes, I know. It's I normal. Mean, I, like, how many normal. people do we talk to that, from our perspective, we're looking at them, we're going, wow, their stress levels are through the charts. And yet yeah. you talk to them, they go, I'm not stressed. I sleep. <laughs> yeah. Six yeah, hours exactly. on a, you know, interrupted, you know, yes. massive indigestion after eating, you know, all of the things that we're talking about. Yet, if you look at 
the heart rate variability on something like your ring or, or even some of the other wearables, it yeah. doesn't lie. It's, it's yes, like your exactly. body is telling you. And, and it's the great thing about this. I mean, sorry, we're digressing a little bit. I'm just <laughs> kind of excited to have this thing. But it has some like uh, on the phone, it has a whole series of meditation, five oh, minute God. meditations. And it's a little bit like headspace, which I love. But it's like, you know, it might say, you know, take five minutes and do a deep breathing exercise. Oh, uh, it so, signals you. So it actually yeah, signals it, you. It notifies wow. you, yeah. Oh, that's cool. It notifies you if you've been sitting too long. Oh, my gosh. You're like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're digressing. Hmm, All right. So, so let's dive a little bit into, obviously, the work we do at ODX is a lot of it around blood biomarkers. I was really mm-hmm. curious just sort of the biomarkers of stress and things that we look at. And, and clearly the, the things that we can measure are things like cortisol. We can measure mm-hmm. glucose, we can measure histamine, we can measure some of the other biomarkers. But there is a tremendous shift in measurable and non-measurable mm-hmm. biochemical changes in the body. Some of them go up and some of them go down. Was there anything that kind of jumped out at you when you were looking at this that You know, the glucose thing, and again, when I was back in the hospital working as a dietitian, you know, and we would educate people about diabetes and high blood glucose and low blood glucose. And one of the things it was on the paper, but not a lot of nutritionists would ask, but that were, have they been stressed? You know, when they have a high fasting blood glucose, even postprandial, how is this stress level? It was a big deal to ask about it back then. And I don't know that it's in practice as much. So the high glucose is a huge thing with stress. And then I think the histamine too, because some people can be real sensitive to histamine if you don't break it down well, like I don't break it down well. So I can scratch my arm and it stays red and raw and a little bit of histamine sends my gut on a roller coaster. So the histamine thing too is interesting. Again, people with GI issues under stress, you know, the GI issues get much worse and maybe the histamine could have something to do with that. And then the, the oxidative stress biomarkers that you can check that could be due to stress. Mm -hmm. So oxidative stress being due to stress. And again, giving that person the homework to identify this stress and address this stress, and then come back in three months and see if any of those have been improved or six months, if that's the case. So that I thought the glucose and the histamine and the oxidative stress biomarkers, I thought were really, really interesting and overlooked, I think sometimes when someone is under stress and they come in sick and we forget to ask, about them being under stress. Mm. Yep. So we'll pick up on a couple of measurable biomarkers, I think, to pay attention to. And I think an interesting one is cortisol. And I think the reason I pick on cortisol is that obviously it's one of those ones that's measured with salivary adrenal stress mm-hmm. testing, you know, mm-hmm. the four tests that they do over a 24-hour period. Yet we can measure it in the blood. And maybe it's not as indicative because yeah. someone once said, you put a needle in someone's yes. brain, yeah. guess yeah. what? Cortisol gets released. but yeah. One would hope that they might take that into consideration when they're looking at the reference ranges. But how out of whack is it, you know? But it's yeah. not always at 8 a.m. either. It's hard to get that rate at 8 a.m. Like yeah, you get your definitely. blood work maybe I mean, you, 10. You can, I mean, yeah. And then you also have to think, you know, for a lot of people, fasting is a stressful event. It's, an, it's mm-hmm. a non... So there's lots of things that are going mm-hmm. on that, that mm-hmm. could potentially be causing the problem. But, you know, always one of the things I say is like, hey, if you're going to put a needle in someone's arm, draw a little bit of extra blood to get some of these other biomarkers, especially the like the hormones. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Because you're getting a window and it can lead you to want to do further testing down the road, or it can maybe, yes. it can be substantially high or low and can 
force you to make changes to, mm-hmm. you know, your treatment recommendations, that sort of thing. So what did you see about cortisol? Was there anything about it that kind of caught your attention? Let me go back here. Again, for me, the cortisol and the high blood glucose is a huge right. thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's overlooked a lot. It also mobilizes free fatty acids, mobilizes protein and amino acids, so you can have muscle loss under chronically elevated cortisol, right? Because you're going to break down maybe dietary protein, but also muscle protein to get at those amino acids so that you can recreate other proteins. So mostly the blood glucose going up, free fatty acids being released, uh, muscle wasting Mm. impairs the immune system. It even depletes micronutrients, causes beta cell depletion. I mean, right here, you're setting somebody up for type 2 diabetes under Mm. chronic stress. And again, we don't put that, the two and two together. It decreases insulin production. And then, of course, increases blood pressure. So you're talking about metabolic syndrome right in front of us, mm-hmm. possibly being caused by high cortisol due to unaddressed stress, right. unregulated stress. So those chronic signs of especially metabolic syndrome could be chronic signs of elevated cortisol and elevated stress that has gone unaddressed, un- I say. So that was a biggie with cortisol. And it also increases the, the abdominal obesity. Mm. So that's another thing, increases visceral adiposity. So, so that just measuring that, I mean, you're thinking AM cortisol is a good Well, sign. both are do the four. Well, the cereal, right? Make sure it's up in the morning to wake you up and it's down at night so you can right. go back to sleep. So, so, so seeing that cereal. Yeah, make sure that if, yeah. if you can do AM, I mean, talking about blood cortisol. Yeah, and yeah. blood too, that's tough. Um, yep. yep. It's a little tough to get that evening one. Exactly. Yes. But if it's super, super elevated. Then the other one was the DHEA. One. And, I, and I know that, I know that there are practitioners that will look at the adrenal stress testing and look at the cortisol rhythm and then look at the DHEA. And the first thing they look at is the cortisol DHEA ratio. Because mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is so, it's just like, yeah, that's going to tell me a lot. Unfortunately, we, I don't think we have a clear, and I'd love to get this into the software if we could, is to work mm-hmm. out the ratio between maybe an AM, because obviously you're getting your blood tested at the same time. So you've got an AM right. cortisol and an AM DHEA. Is there a way that we could look at establishing some kind of range for a ratio between the two. So the ratio of cortisol to DHEA is a way to predict potentially what you call a tolerance to stress. So a higher Mm -hmm. ratio of cortisol to DHEA was associated with an increased arousal, anxiety, fear. In a clinical study of 30 volunteers, a lower ratio is believed to be buffer the negative effects of acute stress. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's something that we might want to pay attention to is potentially establishing a ratio between the two for that AM cortisol and DHEA and see if we can find stuff like that. But I can't tell you how many people I see. I I would say the levels of DHEA in in sort of the 35, maybe 40-year-olds and above is chronically low. And not Mm -hmm. just low, I mean, as we say in England, in your boots. It's like, it should be in the three, two to three hundreds, and it's like 70. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It always just struck me as like, is that an adaptation that's happening or is that a direct cause of something? So anyway, I don't know if that's an answer. I know. Is that being yeah. answered? It is a, it's a precursor, of course, to your estrogen testosterone. Yeah. So maybe as you get older, you don't need that as much, but it's needed in so many other places in the body. You would think that right. it wouldn't just stop producing what it needs. Yeah. You also have to look at Question. the tissues that are producing it, right? You know, and someone mm. once said that if we've got widespread atherosclerosis in the body, there is potential for having 
atherosclerotic lesions in the small capillaries and, and the mm. arteries that supply blood supply into the adrenal glands. Adrenals, yeah. Potentially yeah, causing true. the adrenal glands to not produce. I don't have any backup for that, but it was a sort of an interesting sort of analogy across mm -hmm. going, you know, maybe it has less to do with the fact that as we age, we produce less. It's like, yes. It's like looking at the difference between the production of a hormone and the body's mm -hmm. need for that hormone. Mm -hmm. So we basically say, oh, well, the body's not producing as much. Maybe it doesn't need as much. Well, I, yeah. I would say that the tissues are just as responsive and it just the cells don't suddenly go, well, I don't need to be stimulated by DHEA anymore. You know, I'm 55 years old. Yeah, I'm done. And I don't, but... I don't know whether that's true or not. And I think in allopathic medicine, the sort of they take for granted, well, you know, the production's going down, therefore that's... You it's know, natural. What, what, right? That's natural, yeah. Yeah. But there was some sub, like supplementation in menopause with DHEA had some positive effects. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we could dig more into DHEA supplementation and see if it restores some of these physiological, physiological functions, functions or helps you. Yeah. yeah. But it, supposedly too, like in acute stress, the DHEA is supposed to go up to counteract the effects of cortisol, like we said. Mm -hmm. But maybe without that, you're not going to be able to counter the effects of stress. Mm. And that's what happens as we get older. Maybe we're just not capable anymore. See, that's something that I also am really intrigued by is this concept. And again, that was we're darting around here. There's this whole concept of acute stress, chronic stress, and adrenal exhaustion. Mm -hmm. You know, so yes, of course, there's acute stresses that we're under. There's things that are happening that are temporary and extraordinarily stressful. But I would also say that I would say a lot of people are in chronic or prolonged stress. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. check the, the question, DHEA yeah check the DHEA so mm -hmm. I wonder if you know because in the software obviously we talk about chronic stress and having certain biochemical or sort of biomarker changes around what we call mm -hmm. chronic stress as opposed to mm -hmm. adrenal insufficiency or adrenal hypofunction where we're now we've made that the roller coaster has got to the top and it's now sort of mm -hmm. heading down into the exhaustion phase and so we're looking at these biomarkers, things like DHEA, cortisol, aldosterone, aldosterone's effect on sodium and potassium, which are the two mm -hmm. of the easiest biomarkers for us to check. And mm -hmm. yes, we're not getting a direct measurement of adrenal activity, but we can infer mm -hmm. and use it as just one of the pieces of evidence pointing mm -hmm. in the direction of adrenal stress or adrenal exhaustion. Reflection, yeah, reflects yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, looking at glucose. I mean... When you look at the work we do, is everything is so intimately connected. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't have a conversation about cardiovascular disease without talking about blood sugar dysregulation. Right. They, they are hand in hand. And in some ways, you can't talk about stress without also talking about blood sugar dysregulation because mm -hmm. stress can have such a tremendous impact on blood sugar regulation. Mm -hmm. And then looking and at blood pressure. And blood mm -hmm. pressure and then mm -hmm. the lipids. So it's Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth if you have time to go to the blog. And if you're just going to read one or two of the blog posts, I would really look at biomarkers and consequences. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot here that we can look at. Party. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Little Iron Maiden going on. That's my phone. <laughs> That's heavy metal. Talk about heavy metals. You can talk about heavy metals. Heavy metals. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a big heavy oh. metal guy. <laughs> I'm surprised. I have to say you I'm are surprised? surprised? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I think it's the... Alter ego? <laughs> well, no, I think it's my, it's my alter ego. I think it's a balance. I think part of my psyche needs 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Like, I don't know. He's a real yeah. gentleman. I'm a yeah. gentleman, but I, you know, I grew up listening to Black Sabbath because my brother did an ACDC and I'm oh, exactly. and things like that. Anyway, back to stress. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So do read those two blog posts. I know we're kind of maybe running a little bit short here. Let's finish mm-hmm. up just the assessment side by looking at the salivary measurement. And I was curious whether you noticed obviously we're in blood biomarkers and blood chemistries and CBCs mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the the further testing and the additional testing that one can do with mm-hmm. saliva, blood and stool and dried urine and things like that. Did you feel like the salivary measurement of stress biomarkers was superior or an adjunct to? It actually said it paralleled, you yeah. know, that activity and that it might be a good marker for what's going on in the blood, a uh, surrogate marker. So I don't know that one or the other is the best. I do think though, like the four, if you can take two, four samples, excuse me, throughout the day of cortisol and DHEA through salivary means, to me, that's kind of convenient. You do it at home, you get in a pattern with the AM and then the middle of the day and then four o'clock and then nighttime, whichever it says on the directions for the, mm. for the serial testing. I, to me, I think that's best. Because you said getting the blood drawn for cortisol is going to increase someone's cortisol. Mm -hmm. You don't know what time of day it was, what else is going on with them. So to me, I think, and we don't do the salivary in the software, but to me, I think that would be well worth, especially if they have a super high morning cortisol or a super Mm -hmm. low morning cortisol, follow it up with the serial testing. So you get those four samples and that information that gives you more of a pattern to see what's going on. And it's done in the comfort of your own home. And it's like, you're not having to drive to a lab and you're not sitting in, yeah. So it's it's a lot more conducive to getting probably better baseline measurement. Yeah, spit anyway. So you might as well use the saliva. Yeah. I've done these before and I, I, you know, you're chewing your tongue to try. (laughs) 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 Thinking of lemons or whatever, I don't know. To get it salivating. That makes you salivate. Lemons? I don't know. Does it? I'm starting <laughs> to salivate just thinking about it personally. I don't know. So, all mm-hmm. right. So, I think paralleling is good. I think that's a good rule of thumb there. If the cortisol is really elevated and you are thinking that, you know, adrenal stress or adrenal insufficiency or adrenal hyperfunction, whatever you want to call it, is happening, mm-hmm. then getting that, you know, the four measurements over time, getting that DHEA measurement, getting the DHEA ratio. And they, I think some of these other companies are also adding in a few other, uh, they do salivary IGA, secretory IGA, which is mm-hmm. really cool. For, mm-hmm. Talk about something that gets affected by stress is gut immunity. Yeah. Um, and some people have it low anyway, like people with celiac, or celiac, the genes for celiac have a low secretory IGA mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Now you get stress and you're, you're bottomed out. Your bottom down. So I wonder why people yeah. are getting, you know, generalized uh, GI infections and yeah, things like that. Exactly. I thought you should mention maybe the normal pattern. The cortisol increases yeah. significantly upon awakening and then decreases 45 minutes later, reaching the nadir or bottom in the evening. Yes. Then DHEAS starts relatively high in the morning, decreases for the first 60 minutes after awakening, and then steadily decreases until it's nadir in the evening also. So there's your normal pattern. So it should say that too, if somebody's going to get this kit in the mail, read the directions and read, usually they'll include what the normal pattern should look like. And then the healthcare practitioner can compare the results to the norm. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's spend a little bit of time addressing stress. Can we treat it or can we beat it? (laughs) You always come up with great titles. So again, not to 
do shameless plugging for what we do at ODX, but do go over to the to the blog and read these really cool, important posts that we put up there. And Beth Allen does such a great job with those. So thanks for doing that. All right. Take us away with addressing stress. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. Yeah, no, I like it. Deep breathing. You know, people forget simple, it's cheap. You all you gotta do be is to do is be aware to do it. You have to think about doing it. Like when I wake up first thing in the morning, I'll do a couple of deep breaths. I practice that much that I actually do remember to do it first time, you know, waking up. So deep breathing. Exercise can help you manage stress. A healthy diet, of course, healthy sleep routine, meditation, like you can do structured meditation or you can just meditate on the breath. Mindfulness, just awareness. Music therapy, I call it therapy because I think just walking down the street listening to music is music therapy. Or no, I not heavy metal, but not uh, heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, hey, whatever. If it makes you salivate, then heavy metal is okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, relaxation, progressively relaxation, yoga, social support too. Again, you can walk down the street, listen to music, and then call a friend. So you can have a really stressless or stress managing walk. Stay grounded. And I mentioned that about grounding and earthing and actually coming in contact with the ground. And the earth gives up electrolytes, which mm-hmm. are very, can help as an antioxidant. But grounding too is actually helps reduce blood pressure. And that's something you can read about in the blog as well. And time management. I'm actually pretty, really bad about time. Like I'm doing this now and I'll do something later. If you interject, say, well, you have to do it at this hour, at this time, that's very stressful for me. So time management can be stressful, but if you can learn to manage your time so that you give yourself enough time to relax, let's say before a meal or relax before a meeting. I think it was Ben Franklin said he attributes most of his success to being 15 minutes ahead of time. So (laughs) I guess he showed up 15 minutes and had time to plan for whatever meeting, but I always, that always stuck with me. I don't practice it enough, but you know, having the time you need to relax during an event or relax during a meeting. So time management is actually important, even if it's a little stressful. And then the quick tips for breathing deeply. I find laying on the ground or even laying in bed, if you bend your knees, it kind of stabilizes you. And then literally do nothing but pay attention to that breath and inhale for as long as you can. Hold at the top for as long as you can. Exhale thoroughly for as long as you can. And then hold it out for as long as you can. And that can be very meditative. And if you get into that kind of rhythm, even for five minutes, my God, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. <laughs> we no. can take five minutes to, yeah, five to sit down and breathe deeply. And you can do it in traffic. You can do it anywhere. So that's, I think, if I had to say number one, what the quickest, easiest thing to do to manage stress would be, I'd say deep breathing, really deep breathing. Mm. It's quick and easy. And cheap and, cheap. and free. <laughs> and free. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I love that. I mentioned earlier the Headspace app. For those of you that, oh, that do that. have phones, really just cool. That's like five minute meditations. They have breathing mm. exercises and things from that. It's, uh, and the guy's, mm-hmm. he's English. I like his voice too. So oh. he does good guided meditations and it has yeah. a profound effect. And I, I'm kind of curious to see kind of with my new wearable kind of what mm. impact it might have on that. But let's talk awesome. about food because obviously yes. food is really important. And before yes. we kind of get into food, I'm also thinking about setting the right mood and tone for eating so that mm, we, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about that guy driving down the freeway eating mcdonald's and shopping in mm. his mouth it, that is just 
antithetical to how our body digests. Yeah. So making sure if you can to have at least just one meal a day in the evening where you're sitting down and, you know, we try to do this with our kids. You know, we had four kids in the house and each mm-hmm. all different ages and stuff. We just really made evening dinner a time mm-hmm. for the family to get together and mm-hmm. to talk. And, you know, hopefully we instilled some, they're all in their twenties now and running around doing whatever they want now. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I think we had a good impact on them, but I think it's important to have the right environment in which mm-hmm. to start eating mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. you know your, your italian origin and, mm-hmm. and italy that's exactly what they do mm-hmm. start out with a little maybe an aperitivo and some olives and yes. just things just to kind of waken the digestive system mm-hmm. up. not only just with food but also with senses and smells mm-hmm. and having that routine where your body knows that we're going to be sitting down you kind of get yourself ready to digest mm-hmm. so that digestion happens when you're not stressed because mm-hmm. you're in a parasympathetic mode and the blood flow is in your digestive system it's not in your peripheral muscles mm-hmm. anyway i thought that that's interesting to point <laughs> definitely. to definitely and then, mm-hmm. and then the rest and digest rest and digest phase too i'd say that's a, right. that's a phase rest and digest you know not this not the fight and flight but you want right. rest and digest yeah. and then you look at just sort of the healthy diet itself and you know mm-hmm. oftentimes as practitioners we're looking at it from the supplemental perspective oh you know alpha lipoic acid and all these different amino acids and b mm-hmm. vitamins even supplemental vitamin c i love the whole foods approach that you mm-hmm. really buy you not mm-hmm. just buy into but you really <laughs> talk about a lot mm-hmm. in the writing that you do and, and i'm 100 and behind all of that so Maybe people say, oh, you sound like a broken record every time you talk know. about, you know, it's all know. just a healthy diet. Just eat unprocessed plant-based foods, including fruits and vegetables and whole grain. Exactly. But exactly. the reason we do it is that it works. And yeah. it's like, you don't have to be on this next fad diet. You don't have to be like yeah. jumping on the next bandwagon. It's like, this stuff has been happening for centuries. Yes. So take it away. <laughs> Yeah, there were some specific foods, like you yeah, said, no. the nutrients, right? And, and again, I'm a, real, I'm a real big fan of a high-potency, good multivitamin mineral supplement. Simple, quick, easy, covers a lot of the bases. So those individual nutrients, that's a whole nother story. But the multi, I'm a big fan of. But foods, banana came up. So this is a one, two, three, four different resources I got some of this information from. But banana, blueberries, Brazil nuts, broccoli, and coffee was listed in there. And I mm. want to say there are some people, though, like, with essential tremors, especially, or some people don't tolerate coffee and they don't break it down well, so they get too hyper. So it might not be good for them. Go with an organic decaf, perhaps. Right. Complex carbs, dark chocolate, eggs, fish, flax seeds, kiwi fruit, mm-hmm. oranges, probiotics, spinach, tea, turkey, walnuts, and whole grains seem to be the champions here of foods that can help you to fight stress. And it is kind of a broken record, but then I think about it, it's like, is it a broken record when you have to keep putting gas in your car, change your spark plugs, change the oil, check the transmission fluid, put on your, you know, good no. tires, all those things are the, what you need the car to function properly. No, and no, yeah, it's the same with our body. Yeah, it's the same with your body. Yes, you yeah. have to have a good, healthy diet for all of these things. And I do completely believe you resolve some of these chronic diseases that we label as diseases are just metabolic imbalances because mm. you're eating so poorly. And, you know, I don't always take away certain foods from people. I'm like, here, as long as you include your five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, this, this, and this, don't change anything, just add foods in first. And then the good foods can start to crowd out the bad foods instead of making it like a psychological thing. Like you're a bad person because you're eating a donut. You know, like I never shame people about food. I'm not the food police or anything. 
but it's a more gentle approach where I say, listen, I just want to see you get these things into your diet first, and then we can minimize some of those other mm. things down the road. So adding these things in is a huge, huge big thing. And again, it's plant-based foods, unprocessed, organic, whenever you can, plenty of fish, omega high in omega-3 fish. So it's all the same thing. We're all talking about the same elephant. <laughs> We're feeling it in so many ways and we label so many different parts of the elephant, but it's this giant thing that is a good, healthy diet, helps reduce your risk of disease, helps you tolerate stress. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, but you know, some things make it complicated when there's so many approaches out there on the internet. Yeah. And you know, everybody has once that one piece of the elephant that they're correct and they're the only way you can go but it really is a bigger picture and a healthy diet. And again, some of these foods right here, some of these botanicals, even herbs and things, pretty benign and essential oils. I'm a big, a big fan of essential oils as well. Stress in, busters. Uh, just to breathe or internally? I do everything. Mm. Yep, I get organic. Internally, I'll take peppermint, rosemary oil, and under different circumstances, mm-hmm. lemon. I make my green lemonade. I put rosemary oil in my um, soup. I use oregano oil. It kills germs in your gut. The parasites, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it kills things. And I use lavender for inhalation. So that I use for inhalation. Sometimes I inhale peppermint. I put peppermint into normal saline to use for a nasal spray because I get a lot of allergic symptoms or allergy symptoms. And that works great. And then inhalation too for some of the like jasmine and sandalwood and lang lang. So there are some things that you don't want to take internally, but there are some that I feel perfectly safe and I don't take use you know, more than five or six drops of it. And I use it in my soap. I make my own kind of aromatherapy soap too. Yeah. Lavender especially. And then they've done research on lavender and relaxation. And they use it in some hospitals even. They did some studies in the hospital. So lavender is a biggie. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan. So we'll finish up with, I think, the one nutrient that is absolutely Mm. essential for just basically anybody that is stressed is vitamin Mm -hmm. C. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, one of my mentors said, you know, vitamin C is the food for the adrenals. Mm-hmm. Right? I, mm-hmm. and, and we know that it's stored there. And you've talked about it already. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an interesting thing. The increase in circulating vitamin C was able to put the brakes on hyperactivation of the HPA mm-hmm. axis. Mm-hmm. has an antidepressant effect. So I think some people get a little bit hung up on vitamin C because there's so many different choices that are available to them. It's something that mm-hmm. you can very easily get at Costco or, or Walmart. And so looking at quality versus quantity here, do you have a positional thought on ascorbic acid versus mixed ascorbates, adding bioflavonoids in with that, mm-hmm. looking at a sort of a whole food type of approach? Mm-hmm. I do like it. I get it with the bioflavonoids, but I take pretty high doses. So mm-hmm. it's not just a whole food supplement. So it's going to be some synthetic vitamin C, but it seems you, like just I... Just out of curiosity, how much do you take? Yeah. Well, I take six grams, 2,000 milligrams, three times a day. Because wow. if I don't, I get super stuffy. So mm-hmm. histamine is a problem. Because vitamin C is an antihistamine as well. Mm-hmm. And I bruise I bruise easily. Like if I just bump a table, I get a big old bruise if I don't take enough vitamin C. So I've noticed that with myself. I have to take those higher doses. And I've done like Dr. Jaffe's ascorbate flush. And I needed 20,000 milligrams, 20 grams mm-hmm. of it before the flush. I know. So I feel like I... I need that's, a lot of that's pretty intense. Mm, I mean, I used I to know. do vitamin C. I know you've worked a lot around IV nutrients and things like that. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. we were doing the IV nutrients at NCNM mm-hmm. when I was at school, you know, we were doing large bags of vitamin oh, yeah. C. You know, obviously yeah. making sure that they were balanced and all that. But yeah, it was amazing well, what the yeah. effect was. 
We started, I had an uncle that used it in surgery. He was a surgeon. And yeah, I, you said that. Yeah. yeah we, and I got it incorporated over at the ICU unit in trauma patients. And they started to get 5,000 milligrams, like even right in the ER room before they got to the trauma, wow. to the ICU. Yeah. So the, it's an antioxidant protocol. And we did mix other things too. Some oral and some well by tube and then also more IV. But yeah, it's got to be those higher doses for some folks. And it's very, very interesting. You know, Linus Pauling, he won a couple of uh, Nobel Prizes and vitamin C. I thought his work on vitamin C was pretty amazing. And I think it's in, it's coming back again because it was with IV vitamin C. And people tried to use oral vitamin C. And of course, you flush out greatly if you use high doses. But it's interesting. There are some preps for colonoscopies now that mm. use high dose vitamin C. To, to get that, to get that, yeah, clear out to get that flush, mm. so they can use it. Now, some people with a GP sixty, oh my gosh, there's GP a genetic six, disorder, uh, glucose six disorder, yeah, whatever. Well, <laughs> I was trying, I was like, gosh, can my brain really? He's six yeah, yeah. But some people can't have high high doses, and people with kidney stones sometimes the high doses are not good for them. And some people actually recycle vitamin C better. There's actually a recycling. Mm. mechanism, I guess at the red blood cell or something. I thought that was interesting. And you know, there's only missing one enzyme that as far as other mammals that make vitamin C, there are four enzymes you need. And there's only one enzyme missing for humans. They think, my understanding is they think that we gave up the option to produce more vitamin C to maintain that glucose as glucose. Otherwise you could turn glucose into vitamin C. So we maintain, we have more glucose, they say, because we became more nomadic. So missing that one enzyme, who knows? Maybe there are some people that have the fourth enzyme and can produce their own and don't need the supplementation. But I think if every time they do an animal study and an animal that produces its own vitamin C, that to me is a variable that just throws out the results of that study. Yeah, You have to consider that. So then they have to do it on guinea pigs, which... Yeah, you go. Yeah, because they don't make their own vitamin C, I know, I know. Vitamin C is super, super important. You can read more about it in our blog. It's essential to a healthy stress response. And most people are deficient in it. At least take your blood. They can take your blood levels pretty easily. And Mm -hmm. I find that most people are under the optimal whenever I have tested with folks. And people, a lot of people don't eat any fruits or vegetables. I'm like, where are you getting your vitamin C? This blows my mind. So it's so (laughs) important. They probably don't know they don't make it. (laughs) They don't know that. It's such a simple thing. Oh my gosh, everybody should know that. (laughs) Now they do. Now they do. So part 11 of our blog is the optimal takeaways, kind of what you need to do to focus on that. So go ahead and visit that blog for that. Sound like a broken record, but hey, we put up these resources. We hope you find them helpful and hope you find them useful. Beth, thank you so much for um, all the work you do for Optimal VX. If you want to submit questions to us, become a software member. Very Mm -hmm. easy. Go over to OptimalDX.com, look at our plans that we have. We've got various different plans that you can join us at. And each one of them allows you to submit questions to us as we answer and post into our knowledge base. Also, just a little update for those of you that maybe don't know this, we now have an integration with Fullscript. We can actually now go from being all about health insights to taking those health insights and actually providing you health solutions. So you can go from blood tests through to the analysis that we do, identifying health concerns that you want to treat, and then building a treatment plan using those health concerns as the basis. And so you can actually directly contribute the treatment plan that you've produced and the supplements mm-hmm. your patients are taking and tie them back into the blood testing that they've had. So this is a pretty cool new way of not only being able to make more out of the blood tests that you're doing, but providing valuable 
reason why. I always think people need mm. the reason why. You know, mm -hmm. why do I need to take vitamin C? Well, <laughs> you're taking vitamin C to deal with your chronic stress. Mm -hmm. And by tying that in and going, hey, these blood biomarkers are out of range. So our reporting shows you not only what blood biomarkers were out of range, contributing to that health concern being at a high state of probability, but then you're putting the treatment plan together. So you can either use Fullscript if you want to, or we also have a built-in database of products in the ODX database. So come and join us. There's no contracts. It's a, it's a monthly mm -hmm. subscription. If you want to quit, you know, just stop your subscription. Mm -hmm. We feel that's a, a really valuable resource for you. Also, we've got a blood chemistry training. Again, it's called the FBCA Mastery Training Program. I do a 36-hour deep dive into blood chemistries, and we cover a lot of stuff. So anyway, shameless plugs right there. But thank <laughs> you so much, Beth, for okay. all of your hard work. Couldn't do this without you. We'll see you next time. Not sure what our next topic is, but it'll be a goodie. Uh, until then, be safe, go save some lives, and we'll talk soon. Bye.